0: This is Sarah Weymouth and welcome to my podcast where we talk about everything for you to live your best life and we have a little fun too from talking about business, marriage, parenthood, money, health, home decor, friendship, beauty, and pop culture. I'm a mother to three, a wife, a successful business owner, and I want to live my highest best self. Follow along as we learn together, grow, teach, because you only get to live one life. Oh, and I promise to dig deeper and to ask the tough questions. This is the Lime Podcast. Oh my gosh, so I'm so excited to be here with Candy. Pronounce your last name. Steiner. Steiner. Okay, I was like, I'm totally going to say it wrong. It's funny (laughs) because my my name is Sarah, but people read it Sarah, so I'm hyper cautious. I'm like, am I saying it right? Am I pronouncing it right? So... Okay. Got it. We got candy here. I'm so excited. So I met candy on Instagram. I was, I don't even know what I was doing. I was going down like a rabbit hole one day on Instagram and I came across your page. And the first thing that caught my eye were people were posting and tagging you in like loving your series, loving your books. And you were reposting it. And I was like, what is this? Like I've never, have heard of this. And then I went down the rabbit hole of like what is this? She seems so cute and bubbly. And then your books caught my attention because they're steamy romance novels. Is this correct? That's is right. Is that what you call it? Is that like the category?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Spicy romance books, I think is kind of what they're known for. <laughs> yeah. Steamy, spicy, all the fun stuff that comes along with romance.
0: I love it. And it totally caught my attention because you had the cover with like the hot guy with the shirt off. And then you also have the same book in a more modest cover with just like a fun, cute graphic, which I thought was so unique and different. I've never
1: seen it done that way. Yeah, so I mean, that was really just me answering my readers who were kind of like, you know, I love reading your books and I'm becoming more of a paperback early. Um, but I don't necessarily want my great grandmother to know what I'm reading when I'm at the family function or like, I want to read on the subway and I don't want the guy next to me to be like, Oh, like what's that about? Right. So, um, and also I think some of us just like pretty books for our, like our coffee table or our bookshelf. So we have all the options, no matter what you prefer.
0: Yeah. I think it's also like, I have three boys and my first thought was if I order this book and it has like a naked guy on the cover, they're going to be like, what (laughs) is that mom? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's so smart. And then it's funny because I ordered, I, after we decided we were going to chat, I went down, you know, your website and I noticed, first of all, you've written so many books. How many books have you written?
1: I just published my 34th.
0: (gasps) Wow. I, it's I mean, crazy. that's just amazing. Okay. Hold on. Wait, hold on. We have to back up. So tell us like your background, where are you from all of that?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't even know where to start. Well, like I grew up in Oklahoma, okay. um, and moved to Florida when I was 14. And I've been writing my whole life. Like I was a really big bookworm when I was young. I told my mom in fourth grade that I was going to be the next JK Rowling. And, um, I used to write short stories and, um, I wrote a little, you know, quote unquote book in sixth grade that I gave out to all my friends. And then I just kept studying it through high school and into college. And I graduated in 2012 from the university of central Florida And it just happened to be when this boom of independently published romance was surging. So, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Apple had kind of made it possible for people to publish their own books without having to get an agent or get a publishing house to help you. So, this was pretty groundbreaking at the time. And it really put the power in the hands of the writer as opposed to putting us at the mercy of what. The publishing houses think will sell or won't sell. So I was 23 and thirsty for all of the opportunity that was in front of me. And so I started writing my first book and I published it on my 24th birthday. Um, and then yeah, the rest is history. This is now uh 10 years that I've been writing and publishing.
0: Wow, that is so cool. I have like so many questions, but we have to back <laughs> up. <laughs> like yeah. you just said everything. So are you are you located in Tennessee? Why do I feel like I saw that somewhere?
1: Yes, so my husband and I just moved to Chattanooga in April. So we've been in Tampa um, for years now and then we just moved.
0: Oh my God, I love it. So I actually have a friend in Chattanooga. We're We're originally from California. We live in the Nashville area and then she had moved before we did. and she went over to Chattanooga and we visited her. I love that area. Um, For those that don't know, it's like two
1: hours from here. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. So it's close. It's and beautiful. it's so different. It's so different. Like Chattanooga yeah. is kind of, you know, so kind of got like the mountains and um there's a lot of water nearby and stuff and then you go and Nashville's like this metropolis. Like so it's like this city yeah. in the middle. <laughs> um and but it's so beautiful. And then you just like you go a little bit northwest of there and then you're in Kentucky and Illinois. It's it's wild to me cuz I'm used to living in Florida where it takes 10 hours to get out of the state, <laughs> you know. That's the same in California.
0: Like people will be like, oh, I know someone here. And I'm like, that's like 12 hours. Yeah. Like, like, like Northern and Southern uh, California are like completely different. It takes like 10, 12 hours to get end to end. So I totally get that. I know it's crazy being in such a small state now. Like you really can. Like Ugh, we literally, we drive to 30A now all the time with the kids. And I,
1: I don't know if you miss the weather in California. Cause it's a lot better than the weather in Florida, but I am thriving in Tennessee. I'm like, wake up in the morning in summer and it's like 65 degrees. I cannot wrap my head around it. It's incredible. Um, it does get really hot by the afternoon, of course, cause we're like in July right now, but compared to Florida, this is nothing. So I'm just when, like, living. when did you guys move here? Uh, end of April. Oh, okay. So this is your first summer. Yes.
0: Okay, so I will say this summer has been really mild and kind of cold compared to normal. Like this isn't okay. normal.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm basking in it. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy it.
0: Enjoy. It. No, me too. Like I'm literally wearing jeans today. I'm like, what is happening? Yes. Even though it's like obviously hot. It's supposed to be really hot this week. Um, but it has been mild. It's been raining a lot. It's been weird. It's been this whole summer. Even we went down to Destin a couple weeks ago and we got a lot of rain. It was bizarre. <laughs> I was like, "What is happening?" So I just think it's like weird, wet
1: summer. I don't know, but yes, I do everywhere. Love- but I will say, I just can't wait for like seasons. Like I'm a really big season. fall girl, yeah. <laughs> and fall doesn't really happen in Florida. Like in Florida, we get we get like two weeks of fall type weather, but it doesn't happen until January. So I'm really excited for like October and November here to really like see the leaves changing colors, and uh, I'm just I'm pumped.
0: Yeah, I agree. The seasons are amazing and the winter is still mild enough that it's not crazy, but it's a real winter. I'm mm-hmm. I'm with you. Like I couldn't like live in Hawaii, like and have it be like summer 24/7. Like I can't. I can visit, <laughs> but I can't live. Oh my gosh, I love it. Okay, so I didn't even know you were in Tennessee. I love that. Okay, and then so now you're here, you've been writing for 10 years. I think it is, I was going to ask you more about the business side later, but since you brought it up, I think it's so interesting. It seems like back in the day you had to get someone to publish your book. Now you can self-publish or have someone publish your book work, or isn't there like a hybrid option? Like there's like so many options now. And I think, yeah. you, and you're also number one bestseller on Amazon. So then I feel like that's, more of an accomplishment than being New York bestseller. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it feels almost like the celebrities want the New York, you know, number one bestseller, whatever it's called, because it's like a status. And I feel like you can almost like pay for that status. I could be wrong where I feel like Amazon, it's like that's straight off of purchases. Right.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it's very complicated. Um, but yeah, so you're right. There's, there is a hybrid option where you can be both traditionally published and self-published. So maybe a publishing house publishes your contemporary romance, but you publish your paranormal romance by yourself Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, but so the way that the New York times, um, and USA Today list work is way different than the way Amazon's list works, right? So Amazon is just looking at Amazon purchases, whereas New York Times and uh, USA Today, they're looking at Amazon, iTunes, Barnes, and Noble. but mostly what's going on in the bookstores. I feel like that is what's driving most of theirs. Like they have their ebook list and they also have their trade list um, that kind of encompasses paperback and hardcover. So as a self-published writer, it is near impossible to get on that New York Times list unless you are what we call wide, which means that you have your books available you know, on Google, on Amazon, on Apple, on Barnes and Noble. And then you also somehow have a tie-in with the bookstores, which you can do, but it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of knowing the right people and getting in the right place and then building the right kind of buzz for your book. Um, so all of them are a huge achievement, but for me hitting number one on Amazon was like my pie in the sky dream. It was like this unreachable thing that I worked and worked and worked toward. And it just happened in February. It was like the wildest day. I can still, I still like shake when I think about it. And like, when you said it, I don't know if you saw, but my face, I just like almost started laughing because it just sounds so unbelievable. Um, but yeah, it's, it's straight up off of Amazon and it is very, very difficult to achieve. Um, it took me 10 years to do it. So, uh, and, and I don't know if it'll ever happen again and fingers crossed it will, but, oh, wow. um, sure. it's, it's incredible and uh but yeah so there's there's a lot of different paths you can take even within just self publishing um that can take you down you know different roads um but new york times hitting new york times as a self published romance author is really really difficult um and uh i would say hitting the top 100 on amazon might be a little bit easier if you are in their Kindle unlimited program, which I am, because of course they reward that. So anyway, there's all kinds of like, I could talk business about this forever, but yes, there are many paths to success depending on if you're self-published or traditionally published and then your choices within those two avenues as well. And
0: then this might be a stupid question, but then who actually ships the books? If you're (laughs) self-published,
1: like where are these books? That's a great question. so there's there's a lot of different options, but um, typically what most self-published authors use is what we call print on demand. So when you upload your book files to Amazon, they do not actually start printing your book until somebody buys it. So someone goes on Amazon and buys my book. They print it and ship it because Amazon can do that, right? Wow. Same thing with Barnes and Noble. So I can upload my book directly to Barnes and Noble, and they do the same thing. If someone goes online, or if one of their bookstore retailers says, "Hey, we want to stock ten copies of this book," that's when they print it and ship it. Um, so that's kind of like the the main way to do it. And there's other avenues like Ingram Spark is a great one for getting into actual bookstores because that's Ingram is the program that uh, bookstores use on the back end. So when your local indie bookstore, the owners going in to find what books they want, they're not going to buy from Amazon, Amazon's their competition. They're not going to buy from Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble's their competition. So you want to make your books available to them through Ingram Spark, so they can get that trade discount, pull it in and sell it and make the profit that they need for their bookstore. So it's, there's a lot, it's, it wow. gets a little complicated, but, um, but that essentially is what it is. is print on demand
0: that's amazing because for me being in retail obviously we don't do a lot of books but you know owning a gift shop it's everything product comes from warehouses and we're always a season or two ahead and you know some some things we have to order and then they produce it off of what we all order so they don't have any leftover sometimes they have leftover so the fact that you don't have to worry about inventory amount, having it stay or go, or what if you sell out? You don't have to worry about that at all. You're like, if if I sell a million copies, it's okay because they're just going to print it on demand. That's amazing. I love
1: that. That's a smart business model. Um, yeah, it is, it is really great as far as like Costco um, and obviously Ease because I can order... You know, dozens copies of my books at any point in time. So if I need to go to a book signing and I need a hundred books, I can just order them and take them with me. Um, but the flip side of that is obviously with print on demand, you don't have necessarily, well, you you don't have near the options that say a traditional publisher does. So when you walk into a bookstore and you see this gorgeous book that has foiled edges and it has like embossed cover and it's it's just got all these really beautiful kind of 3D elements, those things are not accessible to a self-publisher yet. And I say yet because I'm crossing my fingers that that's going to change as as the industry continues to grow. I think there's more and more independently published authors who want these options available and who will make it worthwhile for these print-on-demand companies. But right now, unless you have a publisher, you don't really have access to any of that. Um, The other option that I've seen a lot of authors do to make their books look like that is Kickstarter, which I'm sure you've seen and Mm -hmm. heard of. Um, but again, that's a, that's much more, uh, complicated for the author and kind of goes into the realm of what you were just talking about with retail, because then the author has to either do a pre-order and only order what they know they can sell. And then they have to hope that once they've taken all their readers money, that everyone they've made business deals with to make this box come to life or this book come to life follows through. Right. So anyway, it can get a little more complicated. It's a lot. Yeah.
0: I I love the on-demand and I love where the whole book market is going. I think it's so fascinating. I've always wanted to like write a book, but I'm not a writer. Like I'm better at public speaking and doing videos. And like, obviously I love having the podcast now. I'm not a good writer, but I'm like one day maybe. <laughs>
1: yeah. But, yeah. I, I always scary. say never say never when it comes to writing. Cause we all, we're all storytellers. That's just like a natural part of being a human being. We have stories to tell whether fictional or non-fictional. So I wouldn't be surprised if one day you find yourself putting pen to paper.
0: I love that. Yeah. I think for me, it'd be more like a business book. I love the idea of getting my mom's recipes in a cookbook because yes. she's like the best cook. I mean, it'd be like Persian food because we're Persian, but I just, that's like my two where my mind goes. I'm not like what you do is just, it's beautiful. Mine would be more like tactical. <laughs> like <laughs> This is how you do it. Um, but I love it. So what, when you started writing like that first book, what made you, was that first book romance or was it something else? It
1: was, it was. So wow. it's crazy because when I was in college, I primarily studied nonfiction. So I always thought when I graduated that when I did start writing, it was going to be memoirs. It was going to be self-help books. It was going to be that sort of realm. And don't get me wrong. I, I still love that. And I still write about a lot of that stuff, but it comes out in my romance books. So Mm -hmm. I explore those themes through my characters and character development. Um, and even on my social media, I know you said you found me on Instagram, so you can probably pick this up, but I talk a lot about just, Life And I love exploring the, what it means to be human and, and what it means to be a human falling in love with another human and taking two really complex human beings and mixing them together and getting it right where it's healthy and supportive and not toxic. Right. Um, And so when I wrote my first book really I I was just, I was like, this makes so much sense. I love to write. I've always been a hopeless romantic. I love to explore romance and everything that comes along with it. So my first book was really just a new year's resolution that I told my friends. I was like, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to write it and I'm going to publish it and just throw it out into the world. Um, I think on release day, I sold 12 copies total and like two of them, I bought one, my mom bought. Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but then you know, back then there were way less books available, especially in the independently published romance romance realm. And so I, over the next few months, more and more people just found my book and stumbled upon it and read it and enjoyed Ah. it. And then they were finding me on social media and emailing me and being like, Hey, what about Tanner? Who was like a side character in book one. And they were like, where's Tanner's book. I want to know what happened to Tanner. So I wrote book two. And that was like, at that time, I kind of felt like it was a faucet drip. And then once I wrote book two, it just like went full gush waterfall. And now I have endless book ideas. I'm just, I have to be writing to get them out of my head. And it just turned very quickly from like a hobby to a passion to this is what I want my whole life to be. And I will do anything to make it my full time job.
0: And that's interesting. Cause when you started, was that also when 50 shades of gray
1: came out? So 50 shades of gray was earlier. and I don't know the exact date of 50 shades of gray. My, my gut says 2010 or 11. I know I read it in 2012, but yes, 50 shades of gray. EL James paved the way for the way the romance book industry is now because those books originally started as fan fiction and her fan fiction readers were feral and just loved it. And so she essentially changed the names, changed a little bit of the setting and made it her own and published it. And it was the first time there was really big buzz about a book that centered around female pleasure. And I think that was a huge development in the publishing industry. And I'm sure that you've heard, like everyone loves to snub their nose and like, they, they want to talk crap about 50 shades of gray. It's like the punchline of every joke. Every time I tell people I write romance, they're like, Oh, like 50 shades of gray. Yeah. And it just makes me laugh because if if you look at how successful her books are how successful those movies were and if you walk into any sex store it's 50 shades of gray themed toys and videos and yeah. books and everything else and it's it's to me i think anytime a woman becomes successful especially when it's not you know, garnered around what a male wants her to be doing. It's just like everyone fights it tooth and nail. It's so uncomfortable for them. So the fact that I could be a part of that revolution, I was like, yes, sign me up. I'm there.
0: Yeah. I thought, I thought her books were great. I don't remember any hate, but obviously I'm not in the industry. So I'm sure you see it on like a whole nother level. I do remember when they cast it for the movie, I was like, that is not how I envisioned either of them. And it like, (laughs) ruined it for a second but then I obviously love the movies and now they've been out for years and then didn't her husband write rewrite the books from a male perspective did I make that up I could have swore there was a rewrite later
1: I know she wrote freed which is from Christian's point of view but oh, she maybe wrote- that's what it was yeah so
0: I love, okay, so I, I got, I ordered Blindside and it was so funny because I started reading it and then I was like, okay, I'm going to bring it on vacation. My husband planned an eight hour deep sea fishing trip with my boys and me. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not a fisher, so I'm a fisherman. So I'm like, I'm going to go, I'll fish with you guys for like half an hour. And then I'm going to read this book five minutes out they canceled the trip because of lightning and a storm coming through oh no they were all bummed about the trip and I was like I was supposed to read my book (laughs) I got like 40 pages in already before that trip got canceled and I thought what was interesting was that you write it from multiple is it multiple perspectives
1: or is it just the two main characters so it depends. Most of my books are dual point of view. So they're from both the main female character and the main male character point of view. Um, I have a series that has seven main characters and I write through all of them. Wow. Um, and then I also have some books that's only from the female's point of view. Uh, so it just depends on the story and and what I feel like is the best way to tackle it.
0: Yeah. I thought that was really interesting because you know, typically we get so in like our own way. So it was interesting to see like, well, this is what she's thinking. This is what she's going through. And this is what he's thinking. And this is what he's going through. It's, it was really interesting. again, I've only been like 40 pages in, but I'm like, that's really cool. And seems different than anything else I've ever read. And then I also, yeah, it was interesting also you saying the different series. So you've got, explain that to us. So you've got like, three books that's in one
1: series and then it moves on to a different story? How does that? Yeah. So, I mean, like we talked about, I have 34 novels out. So some of them are complete standalones. And when you say a complete standalone, it means you can read that book without having read anything else before it. And you don't have to read anything else after it It is a complete and total story within that one book. Um, And then I have series, but there's different kinds of series as well. So there are Oh, now Siri is listening to me I on my computer. Oh. <laughs> I love it. So I have, um, there's the series where, uh, they are connected and you have to read them in order. So an example of that would be my Palm South university series. The story is told chronologically. It involves all the characters. So you have to start at book one and read all the way to book seven to get the complete story. Um, And then I have what I would call my interconnected standalone series, which basically means you're going to meet the other characters that you're going to see in future books while you're reading book one, but you can read book one and then never read the rest of them. Right. Or you can jump into book two without having read book one, because each book is a complete love story, but you might see like, Oh, well that was like, right now I'm reading about the quarterback and his girlfriend, but like, I'm getting sneak peeks of the kicker and his girlfriend, and I'm getting sneak peeks of the coach and his girlfriend or whatever. Um, So those are really fun to do because then depending on the tropes, which romance readers are very particular about, they can decide what they want to read and what they don't want to without having to connect to or lock into a whole series. Um, But when you write a connected series, it's really fun as the author because you're with your characters for longer. You get to really develop that world. um, And it's just something really special and magical about that.
0: I love that. So if I'm new, where do I start? Or do you feel like just
1: go wherever you want to go? Yeah. So on my website, if you, if you go to books, I have a reading order and basically I have all my books listed and like, okay, if you want to start with this series, here's where you start. If you want a complete standalone, here's where you start. But personally, if you're asking me the author, um, I would say either start with a love Letter to whiskey or blindside because they are my most well-known books. And I think that they show my style of writing in a way that even if you don't love those books, you'll understand what type of writer I am. And you'll be able to decide if you want more. Um, um, a love letter to whiskey is like my staple, my brand book. Um, it's right person, wrong time, very angsty, very, very much filled with tension. Um, it's going to be, you know, have your heart in your throat as you're reading it. Mm-hmm. And then Blindside is my college sports romance that is fake dating. And so it has that angst, but it's a little lighter, a little more fun. Um, so you get to have fun while experiencing kind of like the butterflies of, you know, falling in love. So two kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, but they both really showcase my writing. And a lot of them are sports related, right? Yes. So I have, I think now I have eight uh, sports romances out of the 34. So... Um, I'm a really big football girly and, and I love hockey. So that's, I'm actually writing hockey romance right now. Um, and I just really enjoy writing about athletes too, because athletes are really dedicated and driven and they, they always have really cool backstories. I mean, anytime, I don't know if you've ever watched a draft day, but I love watching draft days when they show the videos of the players and their families, and they talk about like the backstory and it just gives me so much inspiration. Um, cause that's part of my writing process is really exploring, how people fall in love when we are our own human and we have all of these things that have happened in our lives. And then how do you find the right combination of person to fit with you, right? And and to love you for who you are and for you to love and appreciate them for who they are and find this like balance. So uh, it's really fascinating to me. I love that. I
0: actually just watched the NBA draft because my youngest rush is obsessed with basketball, NBA, like Literally knows all the stats, the history of the players. Like he'll, he knows players from the 50s. I'm like, I don't even know how you know these players. So he wanted to watch the draft, which by the way is the longest thing ever. Like I was like, how long <laughs> yeah. does this draft go for? It was like, hour one is complete. We're going on to hour two. I'm like, oh my goodness. But yeah, it is interesting because they're the players are there and their families or, you know, their support system, maybe their girlfriend. And, yeah it is interesting to see where they rank versus um like what happens with their career you know sure. so yeah i think that is really interesting hold on i got to plug in my thing's about to die um yeah so i i find that really fascinating for sure i love that and then what about your fans do they reach out to you with like personal relationship information or like connecting on some level with their relationships or their, you know, um, I don't know, highs and lows, whether they're single or not, or like, do you get a lot of that? I almost feel like this could be like therapy for your fans.
1: Oh, I mean all the time, all the time there. I It's a constant stream of messages of thank you for writing this character who looks like me. Thank you for writing this character who has the same background as me. Thank you for write Like one of my, um, older books is, Called Revelry, and it's about a woman who's recently divorced, and she moves out to this cabin in the woods for a summer just to kind of like reconnect with herself and refine herself. And so many women message me after they read that one because they, you know, they can connect. They they've gone through a divorce themselves, or they're going through one, or they're about to be going through one, and they feel hopeful of finding a new path after it. Right. And finding a new life after divorce. Um, and I have another book on the way to you that kind of touches on depression and how depression can impact us, not just as a person who gets depressed, but like, how do you love people through depression and how do you, you know, support and, and be there for someone without also sacrificing your own joy and your own way of life. Um, and so that one is a really big one that people reach out to and a love "Liar to whiskey. I mean, so many of us, that was one of the reasons I wrote it. So many of us have that person in our lives that for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. The timing was never right. Maybe, you know, we were never actually together, but we were definitely more than just friends. And so what are you then? Um, yeah. and so, yeah, there's a lot of connecting and I think that's what I love most about writing and about words and reading in general is, You know, as humans, I think we crave connection. And so to read a book where we feel seen or we feel like the emotions we've never been able to express have been so eloquently written out on a page, it's powerful and it's moving and it connects us to another person in a way that just changes everything. So, um, I love that. And I am really big at hanging out with my readers online. I love to be present with them and be social with them. So, um, I feel like I have like a whole, um, pod of friends online, uh, who also just happen to read my books.
0: Do you feel like you're mostly connected through Instagram or is it other platforms? Where do you feel like you're mostly seeing your fans?
1: Uh I would say Instagram is my favorite place to be in terms of I just really enjoy sharing like photos there and videos I really love the story aspect and I I enjoy going live on Instagram but I'm I love being on TikTok so I make a lot of TikTok videos I go live on TikTok and I I engage with that crowd that's there I could scroll TikTok for hours but I don't let myself um <laughs> And I'm on Threads. I really enjoy Threads, um, especially because Twitter has not really been my jam for many years. So I love that Threads kind of feels like old school Facebook almost. (laughs) Everything's in chronological order. Um, But I have a Facebook group. I have a Discord. Like I literally am everywhere. Wow.
0: How much of it do you think is like staying connected? And like, how long does it take you to write a book? Like that seems so daunting.
1: Yeah. uh, Well it's changed so this is my full time job now and it has been for many years um which is a blessing and so that changes it because you know i writing is my main priority of every day so for me and i and i preach this all the time when i'm talking to other writers and they ask for advice or when i'm talking to readers who want to know my process for me i know that everything else is fighting for my attention but that at the end of the day if i got nothing else done but i wrote i will be happy So I have to fight that temptation of getting online and getting on social media or checking my emails or, you know, whatever the case may be until I get my words in. So when I get up in the morning, I make my coffee, I have a little morning routine, and then I sit down and I do not open up any social media. I block all of my text messages until I hit my word count goal. Um, It's it's hard some days, and it's definitely a a lot of self-discipline, but you have to have that. If you're self-published, because you don't have someone breathing down your neck, like a boss saying you have a deadline, you've got to get it done by this time or whatever. It's all up to you to decide what your goals are and if you're going to meet them. And, you know, I'm just the kind of person that I thrive under that kind of stuff. So for me, I think right now, if I'm actively writing every day, it usually takes me between five and eight weeks to write my rough draft. Um, And then I'll have probably a month of editing Um, and then, you know, cleaning it up and everything like that. So I would say from brainstorming to completion, maybe three months. So you do all your own editing. Is there someone usually supposed to hire for that? I don't understand how that part works. (laughs) So my editing process is very, very large and involved. Um, I'll try to I'll try to make it succinct. So I have alpha readers who read while I write. So every Friday I send them whatever I've written and they provide feedback and I kind of edit as I write and make sure that I'm not forgetting anything or that I'm not writing myself into a hole. And then, um, at the end, when I'm finished with my manuscript, it goes out to a larger set of what I call beta readers. And so those readers read through and they give feedback on the whole manuscript. And this is really like the toughest part of my editing process. This is people saying, I hate this character because of this, or this needs to be better, or you lost me here, or I have questions or whatever. And so I have a few weeks after that to really do an overhaul and really polish up my manuscript. Then it goes to my editor, my official editor, and she is looking for, she's trying to make the package as pristine as possible. So grammar edits, punctuation, um, any kind of content or continuity errors that might be there. And so I'll get her edits back and that's kind of my final pass. But even with all of that, even with multiple, multiple, multiple steps of editing, it is inevitable that something slips through. So when I send out my advanced reader copies, which is like my early copies of my book that I give to readers in exchange for an honest review, when the book is live, I always tell them if you find anything, if you see anything, please let me know. And every book they do, there'll be some little typo that slips through. So, yeah. um, yeah, so it's very involved. And, and it's I always say so like I involved, I did I not think- expect
0: <laughs> you to say all those stages.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> It's a lot. And, and not every author is like this. I know plenty of authors who put their first draft up. They're confident in it. They don't feel like there needs to be any editing and they'll just pop that bad boy up. Or um, others might maybe have one round of light edits or you know uh, they might have two people read it early and provide feedback. So everything looks different. I am just somewhat of a perfectionist. So I'm trying to get as close to perfect as possible. Yeah.
0: When you get like that critique back how do you handle that? Or do you, are you like, I don't care. I'm doing what I want. Or is it kind of like, okay, I have to tweak
1: this. Oh, that's a great question, Sarah. So I used to be very defensive when I got feedback and it was just an instinct. Like it was just born into me. And so I would get feedback and I would instantly bristle and just be like, no, but like the reason that I did it is this or like, well, she's like that because of blah, blah, blah. And, um, through practice and meditation, I have found, I need to sit with my edit, like my feedback for a day. And so what I do is I go through each person's feedback and I move the comments into my manuscript. And when I feel myself start to bristle, I just say, calm down. We're going to think about this in a minute. We're going to think about this in a minute and I will get all my notes in there. And then I will step away. I'll go for a walk. I'll go do yoga. I do pole dancing. So I might go do pole for a little bit. And while I'm away for that 24 hours, I can remove myself far enough to say they have a point or there's a reason why they feel this way. And if they feel this way, they're not going to be the only ones. So I never brush feedback to the side. I never say, no, I don't care. I always take it into careful consideration and decide, okay, like, is it something that is a big issue that needs to be addressed? Is it something I could do better to convey what I meant to convey? How do I make it, you know, so that this person's Uh, concern is addressed and I still stay true to the story I want to tell. And sometimes that's a big overhaul. Sometimes it's a minor tweak. It's like adding a sentence and it changes everything. Um, But there's also points where it's preference, right? So some people might just be like, I just don't like this person. I don't like the way they act. Well, that's obviously not a piece of feedback that I can do much with other than to say, sorry, they're not your cup of tea. Right. Yeah. Um, So it really just depends. But for the most part, I, I want that feedback. And I tell my beta readers, like, give me your harshest. I want to know what you would put. If you didn't know me, what would you put in your review of this book? What would you say frustrated you? What would you say made you happy? Um, and I have a really great team that does a, an equal, equal, uh, amounts of here's what needs addressing and also petting my hair and telling me I'm pretty, which I definitely need. Yeah. To keep going. <laughs>
0: What do they call it? Like a compliment sandwich where you say a compliment, the, you know, the thing you got to work on and like another compliment. So it's kind of like softens the blow. Yeah. That's, That's interesting though. I also wonder like when you're writing and you're putting it all out there and in your mind, you're like, this is what I'm trying to say. This is the image I'm trying to put out there. And then the person doesn't get it. And you're like, well, then I'm obviously not explaining this well enough. Let me go back so that's that's so interesting
1: and that's that's something that happens a lot because as a writer you're in your head you're in your story you know everything about your characters and about what you're telling um but sometimes you forget to put it on paper or you think you've done it and you haven't done it so that feedback is really nice to just you know show the clear picture of what needs to be developed more and um i think it was Ernest Hemingway who said the rough draft of Anything or the first draft of anything is shit, um, or somebody on the internet said that and then said yeah. it was Ernest Hemingway. Who knows? But <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I would never, I would never feel comfortable just putting the first effort out into the world. It takes a lot of teamwork to get it to publishing state.
0: Yeah. And your books are thick. Like I just want, (laughs) I mean, I know no one can see this. so I'm not going to like show the book, but like, there's a lot going on here. So I could imagine where you're like, I got to make sure that this is good before we put it out. What we got to get these books into movies. Is that possible? How do people do that? Like it just like a book has to like take off and be like perfect before they even consider it. You know what? Side note, I just thought about this. Um, Reese Witherspoon, right here in Nashville, she owns, you know, her own network now and she takes books all the time and makes it into movies. I know
1: we need to get to listen
0: to this. I'm telling you, you listen to this episode. I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) I am manifesting it in every possible way. Like it has been on all of my vision boards. I I dream about it. I put it on my goals list. I kick down every door that I find. I mean, I literally cold call by sliding into the DMs of directors and producers and show writers that I love. Um, and I just try to be like, you know. I've got the perfect book for you. And, and anytime that I get an opportunity to kind of break into the room, I do, I've pitched to several different studios and really it's honestly, it just depends on what they're looking for at the time. And Mm -hmm. if you pop in and find the right person at the right time, it's so much of who, you know, and what is working at the moment. So, um, I'll never give up on that dream, but it is definitely really difficult because you know, Hollywood, though it seems so big to us is tiny in reality. It's really just like, you know, a select few hundred of people who are running everything. And so, and they've got a million people in their ears saying, pick me, pick me. So yeah, yeah, it's tough, but I will say for books, sales speak louder than anything. If you've got a book that's sitting in the top 10 of Amazon for multiple months, it's almost impossible to not get some attention there. So
0: Yeah. Okay good. Well, now you're number 1 since February. So, we are now we're it's coming. Well, it I was number
1: great. 1 in February. I wish that I hung out at number 1 for longer than that. But I I was I was in the top 100 for gosh, a, a few months um with oh, that book. It was amazing. it was with Hail Mary was the book on that one.
0: Wow. That's still so amazing. I mean, just think about how many books are out there now. I feel like especially now with self-publishing, I feel like anyone can write a book, which is amazing. But then I also feel like it's so saturated. So that's amazing. And I feel like we're all helping you with this vision board. We're going to, it's going to (laughs) happen. And it's funny because I asked you the movie thing and you didn't, I didn't even know that you wanted that or you were going after that, but I just feel like your passion with the story writing and the relationship building, and then also it being like hot and steamy and fun. It's just such a great combo for it to be either a show or a movie or even like, you know, Netflix, Apple TV, like, anything. yes, so I know. Shows. I love
1: that. Let's put it out into the atmosphere yes. and the universe. Like, let's make this happen. You
0: never know. Someone right here in Nashville might be your, your ticket and they'll be local for you. Almost.
1: They totally could be. I mean, there's a lot of filmmaking happening in Atlanta too, which I'm two hours from Atlanta. So who there knows? you go. Yeah, that's true. I haven't even been over there yet.
0: Um, Okay. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I have one more question for you. We do like this podcast. I created it with just so many people that want to like reach their goals or write the book or start the business or do the thing. It's more just like the people that want to like level up. So what would be your best advice to someone that either wants to write their first book or has been writing and hasn't been getting any of the success you know, they have like the 12 people buying their book, like you did with your first one, when it first released, what
1: would you say to them that could be so helpful? Uh, I have so many little pieces of advice that I've given out over the years. Um, I could give technical advice. I could give my frou-frou advice, but my biggest advice for anybody who, who just wants general, like, I want to write a book. What do I do? Um, get out and live your life because That is where the inspiration is going to strike you. And that's where your ideas are going to come from. So if you're just thirsty and looking for something to inspire you, take a new way to work, travel to a new place, face a fear, do something you thought you'd never do, eat something you said you'd never eat, like all of that opens up your brain in a new way that invites that sort of creative magic, right? And that goes for anything. Like if you're in any sort of creative field and you need that spark, you've got to switch up your routine a little bit. Now, the funny thing is if you actually want my advice on how to write a book and like get it done and and level up in your writing career, then I'm going to switch that mindset to focus on your priorities and really set yourself straight. Um, Writing is not easy. It never gets easier for some of us that first 10,000 words just flies out of us. And then inevitably we hit a wall and it's Seems so scary, and you just want to walk away and never have to deal with it again because suddenly it's not fun anymore. It's hard, and you've got to actually work through it. So, all I can say is, you're going to get out of it the effort that you put into it. So, give it your all, give it a few hours a day, give it your undivided attention. Put down your phone, turn off your notifications, and commit to this thing that you say you want because it's not enough to say you want it. You have to actually pursue it and go out and get it. And don't compare yourself to what everybody else is doing and think that you are entitled to any of that because you're not, you've got to work for your own journey. So you've got to decide what that journey is.
0: I love that so much. That was such a good ending. Um, if you're ever in the Nashville area, I'd love to meet you. If you ever want to do a book signing at lemon, we'd love to have you. You are such a joy. Yeah. I would love to. We're actually, we're located in Franklin, the store. Um, so, yeah, if you ever are around and want to do a book signing or meet and greet, whatever, we'd have so much fun with that. And then, will you tell everyone where they can find you? And then, obviously, your books.
1: For sure. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I'm literally everywhere. So, wherever you're hanging out online, I'm there too. Um, But I would say, come find me on Instagram. It's at Candy Steiner. Uh, on TikTok, it's at Author Candy Steiner. I'm on threads. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Discord. So, just come find me let's hang out. Let's be friends. Um, and if you're looking for which book to read, head over to my website, candysteiner.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you a free book. So I can just give you one without you having to spend a single dime. And it's book one in my small town romance series. It's actually set in a fictional town in Tennessee. So if you are also from Tennessee and you want to read about something in your home state, then I would say that's a great place to start.
0: Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay. We're going to do all the things. I really could talk to you forever. This has been so fun. Thank you
1: so much for coming on. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, thanks to everyone who listened. Yay. Okay. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.